Yes, you may lose a few, but to be honest, the ones you lose probably weren't a good match for your product offering anyway. DigitalMarketingRadio.com Would you like to start your own show? I'm thinking of developing an online video course teaching how to set up, produce and market your own show. If that might be of interest, dear listener, I would really appreciate if you'd take two minutes of your time to complete the questionnaire at startyourownshow.com. That's startyourownshow.com. The Big Interview with David Bain. How is B2B marketing different from B2C marketing? Why is it key when trying to understand B2B purchase behavior? And why does lower traffic figures not necessarily matter when you run a B2B site? Those are just three of the questions that I intend to ask my special guest today, Gord Hotchkiss. Gord, welcome to DMR. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for joining me. Well, uh, in addition to being the CEO and founder of Enquiro, Gord is a past director and chairman of SEMPO. That's the Search Marketing Professionals Organization. So, Gord, how is B2B marketing different from B2C marketing? Well, I think there's some key ways it's different, but there's also some key ways it's the same. I mean, at the end of the day, you're still marketing to people, um, and people will make decisions um, both in their professional and their their personal lives, you know, kind of given the skills and, and the, those decision-making strategies that they, they use. I think the biggest difference um, with B2B buying, though, is it's an organizational buying decision. Um, and depending on on the nature of the purchase itself, how complex it is, how big the, the, the price tag is, how many departments are involved, there can be buying teams of several individuals involved. And they all play key roles. They all have different um, inputs into that buying process. And I think as someone trying to market um, to a B2B audience, you have to be very aware of that. Um, it's funny, I was actually just starting a column today and there was a study that just came out in the U.S. Um, saying that video was one of the key content areas to appeal to a B2B audience. And my, my kind of rebuttal to that was, yes, there are definitely circumstances where video is a great sales tool for B2B, but there's also circumstances where it could be the last type of content that you want to uh, show a B2B buyer. For instance, if a B2B buyer is what we would call a technical buyer, somebody who's who's in and is very interested in the, the specifications of whatever the product was and needs to give their stamp of approval to, to say that, yes, this this product, whatever it might be, software, hardware, um, you know, even a service will meet the internal criteria of, of the organization. And if, if that's the kind of buyer um, that you're appealing to, the last thing you want to do is give them a video um, which is a linear format and you have very little control over being able to find information into that. You basically hit play and listen to the entire length of the video and then hope at the end of it that you got the information you're looking for. So um, I think I think the biggest thing is understanding there are different people involved with different different needs, um, different information ga- gathering strategies, different decision criteria. Um, and, and really, you, you need to understand 
all the people that will be involved and also that they'll come in and out of the buying process at different times. Um, you could be talking to a technical buyer early, have them absolutely loving what it is you're offering, and then you're actually going to talk down the road to a financial buyer who needs to make sure that there's no financial risk in the purchase. And suddenly that conversation looks very, very different um, for the vendor. So, you know, it, it, that, that degree of complexity is, is something that's not usually there in a consumer market. In a consumer market, you're generally talking to the same buyer all the way through the process. So I think that's probably the biggest difference. Okay, so um, the biggest difference there, you're focusing on multiple individuals possibly, multiple decision makers there. Um, does that mean that um, you should be meeting all those individuals on a face-by-face -face basis as well? Um, ideally, yes. But I think in, in the world today, certainly with global markets, that, that cannot happen in every circumstance. And I think the need to, um, to meet those individuals um, in a face-to-face -face will be different for, for different types of buyers. So for instance, if it's a technical buyer, um, the technical buyer's degree of risk, and that's, you know, that's something else I think that um, is somewhat unique about B2B purchases is there, whenever we as humans make a decision, a purchase decision, we usually balance risk and reward. We try to understand how much reward is inherent in the thing we're trying to purchase and how much risk is inherent in that decision process. And we, we balance those two out. Um, so on a personal side, if we're buying a car, there's a really high degree of reward and a fairly significant degree of risk. Same would be true, for instance, if we were taking a vacation. But that reward kind of acts as a catalyst to move us forward. It's like putting your foot on the gas pedal. Um, risk asks acts as a break. It, it tends to slow us down in our decision process. And in most B2B purchases, it's all about risk. So for a technical buyer, their risk really revolves around a much more rational, much more logical process. It's what are the criteria? What are the specifications? Does it, is it going to do what we need to do? And conceivably, that could all be done online or at arm's length. Um, you know, if it's, a, if it's something they've never bought before, if it's a new purchase that they're not familiar with, then they may need to see um, instances of that product applied uh, in their particular use case. So they would need to know, is this going to work in our particular circumstance? But again, that's actually one case where videos would be a fairly effective tool. It's a little bit different when you're the financial buyer. Because when you're the financial buyer, what your risk revolves around your choice of partners, right? Is this partner reliable? Are they going to support us after the purchase? Are they going to provide training? Are they going to be around for the long haul, um, you know, in honor any kind of warranties or guarantees or ongoing service commitments that have been made? That's a very different degree of risk. And that's, in a lot of cases, a much more emotional um, less logical, less rational degree of risk. And in those cases, face-to-face -face is very important. So ideally, yes, face-to-face -face is always the ideal I would shoot for. But if that isn't possible, understand that different buyers will have a stronger need to have that face-to-face -face contact because their risk is more emotion-based. And there's nothing better to, to get over that emotional risk than 
the type of communication we were we evolved to have that face-to-face body language multiple bandwidth emotional connection with another person that you really can only have when you're in the same room with them right okay um so face-to-face if at all possible perhaps virtual but certainly lots of relationship building um so you've mentioned video there but um how do other digital marketing activities then fit into this business-to-business purchasing behavior um is it possible to market via other digital channels effectively um while aiming to obviously make um encourage a customer or a potential customer to, make, to to make a big purchase decision oh yeah absolutely so you know things like um specification sheets um are are a big thing um things about another really i think essential persuasion tool are industry specific case studies and testimonials ideally the person who's doing the purchase wants to know in my particular industry in my particular circumstance are there others out there who have used this and have they been have they been satisfied with their purchase? So that kind of testimonial use case is, is very strong. And again, that can that can be in a variety of formats. Um, it could be could be a video, could just be a, a text content on the page. It could be a downloadable piece of information. Um, user forums are are another thing. Like if somebody can get in and and look at, do you have an active support forum and how responsive are you? Um, The other thing is social media. Um, You know, a lot of people will reach out through their social networks um, digitally um, and, and vet a particular company that they're thinking of doing business with. They'll go out there, whether it's LinkedIn or, or another network. Um, and they'll, they'll say, you know, has anyone in my network had experience dealing with this or have they bought this product? Did you have a good experience? So, you know, really I think B2B marketing can cover the, the, the entire gamut of digital channels. Um, you know, being a search guy, I obviously think that's an important channel as well. Mm. Um, you know, having that search presence. So when people are looking for a specific solution and they may not know what the name of the solution is, all they may know is their need, what what the problem they're having. Um, and so they may go out and start searching on, on a search engine to find that. And that could be your initial contact with that prospect. Okay, so does that mean... Perhaps something like reputation management is more important for B2B than it might even be for B2C. I think I think I would say it's at least as important. And again, on the on the B2C side, um, it, it really depends on on what it is. Um, you know, usually the more involved the purchase, the higher um, the importance that's placed on reputation. And you know, with B2B, I I think. Um, that's at least equally true, possibly more true, uh, because, you know, in a lot of cases, B2B brands are not brands that are necessarily top of mind. They're not necessarily bringing a lot of emotional credibility along with them. If, if you know, in the, in the B2C world, if I say Apple or I say Nike or, you know, we, we all have a concept of what those brands mean to us and, and how we feel about those brands. Um, but in B2B, quite often, we're starting from scratch. We're starting with a blank slate. And a lot of the brands we may be considering are ones we've never heard of before. Um, so we're going to probably do our due diligence um, and we're going to do some checking out there. And yeah, negative reviews, 
negative chatter um, in, the, in the social network sphere, um, those are all going to be things that work against you um, if someone's out there doing their research about whether they want to work with you. Okay. So if you're offering a B2B service that um, costs tens of thousands or perhaps hundreds of thousands of dollars, um, then obviously you don't necessarily need that many customers and you can be very niche in terms of the target segment that you're aiming for. Um, in that scenario, is it at all worthwhile to try and become some kind of um, um, content marketing authority uh, in, a, in a broader spectrum? Um, or does that not really matter in that particular uh, scenario? Are you better off just being very focused, very, very niche focused in terms of um, specifically the customer that you're targeting? Yeah, a great question. And, and the answer is, is probably um, dependent on the maturity of the marketplace that you're competing within. If it's a fairly new emerging marketplace where people may not be familiar that the, that, that set of solutions exists, um, then your content development strategy might out of necessity have to be broader. Um, people aren't going to specifically be looking for you, so you're, you're going to have to have a bigger footprint, um, especially around needs-based content, you know, solving problems or, or, or building your credibility. Um, but if you have a fairly robust, mature community that's built around your industry and your solution set, then you can probably be more specific and targeted in your content development strategy. You can probably go deeper and not have to go so broad in the content that you're producing. But regardless of, of the maturity of your community, content, content development is, um, is really, I think, a, a key piece of any B2B marketing strategy. Right, okay. And um, in terms of um, turning prospects into leads, um, are there any particular methods that you favor for B2B marketing? Um, is something as simple as some kind of free white paper in exchange for a name and email address appropriate? Or is that not quite the right thing to do for a high-level prospect? No, I think in a lot of cases, um, white papers, as long as they're valuable white papers and they're not thinly, thinly uh, disguised sales pieces. And, and unfortunately, I think a lot of B2B marketers really don't strive to get that credibility in. And, and people really, I think, when they're that early in the decision process, want a fairly objective source of information. And really, it will pay off for you in the long run if you can take that more objective um, tone. I mean, one thing I tell B2B people um, that are, are out there trying to figure out what kind of content they're putting into the marketplace is your prospects are going to have to go through a qualification period. They're going to have to probably start considering maybe 10 different options and then narrow it down to a short list of three or four options. They are going to be out there actively looking for information about alternatives and competitors. Um, Help them do that. Be assist them in doing that in a very transparent and genuine way, and and be be sincere about your advantages and and probably about your disadvantages as well. And I think um, if you can get that consideration process happening as much as possible on your turf, it's going to pay off very well for you. I think a lot of people are very protective, um, and sometimes unrealistic in the in the messaging they put out there when people are working their way through that consideration process. It kind of comes from this old um, kind of 
walled city, we will defend our turf um, attitude that people have. Um, and if you can kind of flip that perspective around and look at it from the person who's out there doing their due diligence and looking at their options and saying, we could really help them make that process so much easier by giving them valuable and credible information to help that qualification process. Um, it, it just gives you a tremendous advantage as people work their way down the pipeline. Yes, you may lose a few, but to be honest, the ones you lose probably weren't a good match for your product offering anyway, and they probably wouldn't have been a satisfied customer. Um, much better to have the ones who are a good match for your product or your service do their qualification process um, assisted by you. Okay, so you can be very helpful and um, demonstrate your knowledge of the industry by doing that. And I guess perhaps one of the better places to do that would be to interact on uh, on groups in LinkedIn. Um, is, Is that one of the better places to do this or is there a better place to go online to actually um, focus on the B2B environment? I think if you're looking at a broad market, I'm I'm personally a big fan of LinkedIn for for business-to-business applications like this. So I think it's an appropriate place to make first introductions. you know, if, again, you have a, a industry that has a fairly mature community built around, around it, there may be more specific um, online communities that would be appropriate to get involved with. And again, involved in a helpful way. Uh, don't be one of the one of the issues about targeting through social networks is you have to be very careful about something called social modality being appropriate within a social context. People don't engage with communities to be sold to generally, right? They, they engage in communities to get advice and ask questions. Um, and as long as you're participating in that role or in that way in a social community, then by all means, if the community exists, be involved in it. Um, but don't be lurking out there trying to snag um, sales leads because that's going to burn that territory fairly quickly. Right, okay. And if you interact and offer great advice, then people are naturally going to gravitate towards you, click on your profile and, and find out about you anyway. So uh, there's no need to tell people precisely where you come from. Yeah, and one thing, speaking specifically about LinkedIn, um, make sure that your your company has a robust and complete profile on LinkedIn, because if people aren't familiar with a company, um, one of the things they're going to probably do is check out the corporate LinkedIn profile and, and see, you know, is it actively maintained? Are there links to key individuals? Is there a clear, concise explanation of what that company does? On, and is there credible messaging to say, yeah, we've been around and we're 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 deeply embedded in this industry and and you know just get that sense of trust out there so yeah i mean do pay attention to to things like corporate profiles um linkedin google plus is another is another network that seems to be um used a, a little bit more for business than say facebook might be um and i know facebook is trying to move into the b2b space um but there, there, there still is a divide, I think, mentally that we have versus what we use Facebook for versus what we might use something like LinkedIn for. So are you a fan of uh, paid B2B marketing as well, or do you prefer to focus on relationship building? 
You know, the, the two really have to go hand in hand. Um, you know, one shouldn't be ignored at the expense of the other. So absolutely, um, you know, do that earned exposure, do, you know, build that credibility, get your content out there. Um, but that's going to be a long-term play. Um, and it's it's definitely an investment of resources. And you have to be aware of that going in. I highly, I, 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 without hesitation, recommend it as a strategy, but the company has to be geared up for it. As far as targeting specific markets and, and having more control over your messaging and making sure that you can intercept people at the right time at the right place, those are those are all things that paid channels excel at. Um, and really you, you need to you need to look across the spectrum of touch points everywhere you're going to be touching a prospect and see where does that earn media um, strategy work and where does that paid media strategy work and, and how do the two work together. Okay, well, let's segue into the second section of our discussion. So that focuses more on your thoughts on where digital marketing has been and where it's heading. So starting off with... Software I couldn't live without. What software do you currently use in your business that if someone took away from you, it would significantly impact your marketing success? Well, I'm I'm going to be probably a little different than a lot of the guests <laughs> you, you speak to. Um, I'm... To be honest, I'm not hands-on involved on the tactical level anymore or the technical campaign management. Um, I'm much more interested in kind of understanding what consumer behaviors and that type of thing are and, and what the higher level strategy is. So, so some of the tools I use really help me keep on top of industry trends and information and filter that information and allow me to get it together in a way um, that, that then I can go back to and use as a reference point. So from that context, um, Devon Think is a online personal aid and information management tool that, that I love. Um, it allows you to quickly clip different websites or even upload PDFs or, or download research papers, which is another thing I do quite often, or even import your book notes from something like Amazon Kindle have it all in a very searchable database. Um, so DevonThink is one that, that I use a lot. Um, if I'm just kind of poking around and getting to learn an industry um, and trying to figure out you know, what those kind of online behaviors are in, I'm a big fan of Google Trends or Google Insights. Um, it allows me to go out and, and kind of take a look at what's happening in the world of search and really give you some valuable information about what markets have the most robust search activity. Um, you can kind of see, are they searching for this solution in English or are they looking for it in their native language? I think it, it's a great competitive intelligence or research tool. Um, and as far as just kind of sorting out your thoughts and putting it in a format that uh, allows you to play around and do some kind of whiteboarding. Uh, I'm also a big fan of Trello.com um, where you can assign, start different cards, put different thoughts in the cards, link files, kind of sort them around in a way that makes sense to you, assign different categories. So those are probably three that I use quite a bit. Yes, no, and they sound three great recommendations. So I'll include links to them uh, in the show notes here on uh, digitalmarketingradio.com. Um, but slightly, slightly more challenging question. What software don't you use, but you've heard good things about and you've meant to try at some point in the near future? 
Well, again, I'm going to put a twist on that question. I don't use them currently, but I have used them in the past, and they've evolved quite a bit um, since I've used them. And definitely, if I was getting, if I was rolling my sleeves up and getting back involved, I would, I would definitely check them out. So, and they're mainly in the category of competitive intelligence tools. Um, so, again, things like AdGuru. Um, we use Comscore. Um, tool to go in and really take a look at what is our competition doing or what is our client's competition doing, um, what kind of things, how active are they online, um, you know, what kind of keywords are they bidding for. Um, so those are, those are definitely um, tools that I would use. Um, I think the other category, and I don't have any specific names for you, but anything that helps you do some um, usability audits on websites. Um, and there, there were a few early tools, but um, unfortunately, I can't give you any names. But just look for things where you can do usability audits. Make sure that the website works well. Make sure that it, it um, renders well on different types of devices. Okay, so you mean a technical usability from a search engine's perspective? Yeah, it's really hard to do human interaction usability with a tool. There are a few that will check certain things, but really I think you need a trained usability expert to do to do those kinds of things. I wish I would have. I'd like you to look back at the very first day that you're involved in trying to market a business online. What didn't you do so well? What do you wish that you would have done differently? Um, well, my early days of marketing were really in the search space. Um, and I think one thing that I drastically underestimated, I started as an organic optimization guy. I started, you know, doing the meta tags and the content development and the links and that. Um, and when paid search, and this is going back a long way, when paid search came along, I, I, I was one of the many who kind of said, ah, it won't last, it's a flash in the pan. And I, I wish I would have paid more attention to paid search when it did come along. Um, we did eventually migrate over to paid search, um, but it took us a while. The other thing I wish I had have got into earlier uh, that we eventually moved into was understanding user experience and user usability. Um, that became a really key offering for us, and we were a little slow to move into that space. Right, okay. And paid search is really interesting at the moment in that um, it's, um, it can be very expensive using uh, something like Google AdWords, depending on the market that you're in there. So it's a question of whether or not to go with um, an up-and-coming network that, that perhaps is just getting started in paid search, perhaps something like a Pinterest, um, or to go with a Google AdWords because you know it's got the traffic and hope you can convert that into profitability. Yeah, and I think in the B2B space in particular, you may have a little bit more latitude to experiment with with kind of second and third tier um, search tools, uh, you know, so you've got the kind of verticalized marketplace um, tools out there as well, um, things like Alibaba and, and other areas like that. Um, so, you know, I think absolutely you can look at, at that. But going back to your early com earlier comment about um, you know, a B2B purchase may be hundreds of thousands of dollars. So um, in a lot of cases, if, if you do your keyword discovery well and you're fairly disciplined in managing your campaign, we're not, we're not talking about keywords 
that have thousands and thousands of, of clicks or, or searches every day. We're usually talking fairly low volume. Um, so B2B is one area where you can, you can afford to really move your way down that long tail of search and be fairly specific about the keywords. Buy your, buy your most specific keywords first and see how they work and then gradually work your way back up the tail um, to broader volume keywords and, and you should have a pretty clear idea of where your, your um, investment per click or where your, your average return per click is and, and you're going to know where your cutoff points are. The this or that round. So this is the quick response round. Ten quick questions. Try not to think about the answer too much. I'm just looking for your gut reaction here. So ready to go? Sure. Email or Twitter? Email. Audio or video? Video. Affiliates or display advertising? Display advertising. Facebook or Google Plus? Google Plus. Online press releases or one-on-one relations? One-on-one relations. Paid search or SEO? I can use both once, right? Yes. <laughs> I, that's the one I'm going to use both <laughs> Okay. Email contact form or telephone number? Ooh, that's a tough one. Email contact form. Website or app? Mm, website. Social subscriber or email subscriber? Email subscriber. And local marketing or global marketing? Ooh, um, local marketing. Yay! I'm impressed that you managed to stick it to the one both. <laughs> it was a bit <laughs> of a challenge tough. there. <laughs> yeah, it was a tough one on a few of them. And website or app, that, that was a bit of a challenge as well. Do you think that um, there is room for businesses to focus the majority of their activities on an app now? Yeah, we're right on the cusp of that becoming a practical strategy, I would say. Um, And although, you know, websites are still probably slightly ahead at this point just because of the universal kind of accessibility of those, I don't think we're very far away from from dedicated apps becoming a pretty key part. So, um, you know, and, and again, it, it has that caveat that you put against absolutely any question when you're talking about digital marketing. It depends. It depends on the context. It depends on the circumstance. So, The $10,000 question. Well, if I was to give you $10,000, you had to spend it over the next few days on a single thing to grow your business. What would you spend it on and how would you measure success? I would actually spend it on qualitative research, whether that be usability testing or talking to customers to understand what it is, how, what the process is they're going through. Um, I, I really think that's an area that's not paid enough attention to in digital marketing now is what is the person on the other side of that website or the other side of that app or the other side of that email address? What What is their reality? What are they going through? What are they trying to do as they're working their way through this buying process? And how can you help them? Um, and I think people are too, too quick to jump into the latest gimmick or the latest channel or the latest thing they read in some email or saw at a conference. And we're not doing the basics. Marketing is all 
about communicating with people in an effective, clear, cohesive way. Um, and all too often, we ignore the person on the other end. We're, we're just kind of pushing content out and pushing stuff out, hoping that some of it sticks. So, you know, I, I really think we need to spend more time understand putting ourselves in the shoes of the person on the other side of that messaging. Right, okay. And a lot of inbound marketers now are big fans of creating buyer personas. Um, do you agree with that? Is it a good idea for the majority of companies to actually define very closely their one key customer? Yeah, what, what we used to do, and especially in the B2B world, we use personas as a tool. Um, and what we the, the great thing about personas is it it helps you put yourselves in that other person's shoe because you have a mental framework you can step into going, okay, well, Joe is a technical buyer and he's the, you know, the manager of internal operations and blah, 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 blah. It gives you a framework, a, a, a kind of a, a role that you can step into and see the world through Joe's eyes. So, so from that perspective, I'm a fan of personas, but like any tool, Personas are built to do some things very well. They're a very useful tool, but they're not a one-size-fits-all tool. And I think a lot of people like to say they're using personas without understanding the background behind personas, where they're applicable, where they're not applicable, and where they run the danger of oversimplifying things. Um, and so, yes, big believer in personas, use them myself, we, we use them for clients, but... If you're going to use personas, learn about personas and how to use them effectively as a tool. My number one takeaway. Well, Gord, you've offered a lot of great advice in our conversation, but what's the number one takeaway? What's the single most important step that our listeners need to take away and implement in their own businesses? Well, this probably won't come as a surprise after everything I've said, but be an empathetic marketer. Learn how to step outside your reality and into the reality of your audience. Become very good at, at understanding their perspective and giving your customer or your clients, whether if you're an internal marketer or an agency marketer, it doesn't matter. Just be really good at being able to bring that outside-in perspective and then share that internally and communicate it and be a champion for that point of view. Because in my years of marketing, it is amazing to me how few companies really have a good handle on what their customers think about them, how they how they qualify their buying decision and how they, they decide to buy something or not buy something. Great advice. Well, that takes us to the end of our discussion today. So thank you so much for your time, your focus and your advice. What's the best way for our audience to find out more about you and what you do? Probably the best way is my blog. Uh, it's outofmygourd.com. Uh, Gord spelled like Gord. Um, and I, I'm a fairly regular poster. Once or twice a week, I'll, I'll throw a random thought up there. So if they want to follow me, and you can follow my posts on there. So if you want to follow me, that's the, the best place. Lovely. Okay, I'll link to that from the show notes as well. So uh, thank you again, Gord. All right. Thank you. Digital Marketing Radio